the funny thing about public speaking is that one's comfort in front of an audience has so much to do with one's comfort within our own skin and our sense of security in our own persona. Something I'm clearly still struggling with. This is my conversation with Meredith Grundy. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't, and we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Repun. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. My guest today is Meredith Grundy. She's a passionate and charismatic public speaking and, uh, and uh, 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 presentation skills coach. We're going to have to brush up on my presentation skills as well. And uh, she makes other people credible speakers, and I hope that she will prove me an incredible host. And uh, she's a former Second City improv uh, teacher, which is probably why I started with that whole, I don't know if that was, started like like one thing, and then it became like a John Cleese voice. I was just on, I was just on uh, British radio, on UK radio, and um, and I did an interview, and I, I was asked if I have guests from other countries, and I did that. I was like, yes, sometimes I have people from the UK, and then I'll end up doing their you know, parroting their voice back to them. And the, the guy was just, okay, all right. Because, like, he hears that accent all the time. He probably didn't notice that my accent wasn't British. but Probably. But probably. Meredith. Well, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. You. It's all about the commitment anyway. I yeah, mean. thank you. Well, welcome to the <laughs> show. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for our conversation. So how did you make the jump? from improv teacher to public speaking teacher. I would think, you know, public speaking is terrifying, even for improvisers. You, you know we mm-hmm. get nervous. We get nervous when mm-hmm. we're out there. Who wants to even be, like, do pub, what they call public speaking? Well, I, that's a very good question that you asked. So I was teaching at Second City. I got hired by an executive coach who took one of my classes and he said, come teach improv to a bunch of corporate folks. And so I feel like the the first group I taught was a group of financial advisors. There was some conference that was happening and I loved teaching improv to non-performers. It was quite the delight and also to use applied improv to teach people how they can, what they could learn from it and how it's applicable to their day-to-day and doing these exercises that have like no real world consequences, but you have a lot of fun doing them. So I I did a lot of that and I was having a blast and this executive coach just kept throwing me into these other assignments. He'd say, oh, there's a C-suite exec over here who needs this help over here. And so I would just yes and it. And next thing I know, I'm coaching people in public speaking. And I've always been a performer and a director, myself, improviser, actor, and just taking those skill sets and helping people who don't have that training 
find their voice. And I love it. I love it. And especially now that we're like on virtual calls and people are doing TikToks and doing Instagram lives and getting on stage. And it's so public speaking has expanded for the, for the business owner. Like you're speaking everywhere. It's not just networking events anymore and getting up on stage and giving your presentation to your team. It's, it's a lot of stuff. Well, th- that's a good point is the, in the age of Zoom, how has that challenge affected what you do? It actually really helped what I do. So prior to the pandemic, I was coaching people and doing these team building workshops using improv more as a, as a way to supplement my income because I was still doing a lot of the acting and kind of balancing it all out as a freelancer. And then it wasn't until the pandemic where I got really serious about, oh, I think I want to grow this business into something bigger. So then I made it Grundy Coaching LLC. Part of it was because I saw this need to help people take what they were doing in person and put it online and be on camera. And people were not good at it. Yeah. <laughs> they were not very good at that transition. And it was painful. And I was working for uh, as a consultant for a company out of Denver. And I called Chris at Hillside Communications, who I still work with. I'm like, let's let's do something about this. Let's let's start like figuring out how are we going to train the people, at, you know, with Hillside uh, virtually because he works with a lot of doctors and people in the medical industry. And on, and I I started to do it on on my end. And one thing led to the next. And been great. And now I've been teaching improv online. Like I started a group coaching program called Confidently Speaking, where I start every single class with 30 minutes of improv. And then we have a focused topic. Does it, does it work with, with the kind of delays and things that happen with the glitches? Timing is so important in, in performance, even in Mm -hmm. speaking, even in communicating. I feel like, I feel like most people have gotten good with the tech. It's, So I don't see too many tech problems. Every once in a while, you'll get the one person that doesn't really know how to use it because they don't use it often. But most of the time, it's it's pretty good. I have to say, it's mostly the the presence, the online presence that's challenging. Like people are still not framing themselves up. I worked with a doctor not too long ago who was like in the bottom right hand corner of the screen. You know, his eyes peeking up, and all you could see was like a white wall, a couple of degrees, and. and then even today, this morning, I was coaching somebody in South Korea. It was I was in a breakout room. Of, I was supposed to be coaching a group of doctors. It was one doctor in his car. Yeah. <laughs> so I like couldn't hear him. So right. that's the other cool thing about it, improv is it teaches you how to adapt and pivot in those moments. And so I was like, well, I guess you're getting you're getting a podcast training today. <laughs> and another advantage yeah. is you don't have to wear pants. And you don't have to wear pants. When we're doing, you know, stand-up and improv, generally, the, depending on the theater, they, they like you to wear pants. And I've noticed that. And here in this setting, we're <laughs> able to do whatever we want. You wear sweatpants, you wear no pants. Whatever makes you feel funny, I think you can, yes. you know. Yeah, it's expansive. But I think most importantly, what I, what I try to emphasize is... First of all, you have to really know who your audience is. And knowing your audience is a very good point because that works across Mm -hmm. the board, you know, no matter how big, Mm -hmm. no matter the context, it helps you figure out whether to be funny or whether to be. Mm -hmm. Are there people who can anyone be 
taught to speak in front of a audience? Yes. Yeah. Anyone. It's scary. I mean, people go into fight or flight mode. They're they're standing up on stage and it's almost as if we're back in prehistoric times and they're like, all these people are going to chase me and kill me and eat me, which yeah. is not going to happen, right? <laughs> so right. It's, it's, it's about getting up on stage. It's, or it's, it's not even just about getting up on stage. It's about finding opportunities, which is why I created Confidently Speaking because I wanted to provide a space where people could come and be comfortably uncomfortable and fail and fail again and take risk and take risk again and not only notice what it feels like when you succeed but then notice what it what does it feel like when you try it again maybe you fail three times and then you try it again but what was going on not only with your mind because we tend to get in our heads so much but like what's going on in your body did you start sweating what happened to your breath did you start holding your breath what was going on with your heart rate uh, how how did you, what did you learn from that moment and how can you manage that and adjust so that you, you can, when you do get in these real world situations, manage and adjust in the moment. Uh, so what's that preparation look like? So we talk a lot about that too. Well, that's the part that I try to avoid is the real world situation. I think that's, <laughs> that's why, I think that's why these voices come up because I like, be like, I don't want to. I used to do, I would walk into a bar or have a client dinner mm-hmm. or something. And I had, working in the advertising industry, I had a lot of international clients. And I would be sitting at a table yeah. with people from, from one country or another. And I would just dive into that thing. But part of it was to bond with them. And, mm-hmm. part, and the other part of it was to get out of whatever inhibitions or or discomfort that I had. And I was like, okay, well, I feel a little bit out of sorts. I'll just dive into who they are and then I'll create like a completely fictional persona. Um, do you have, do, do you, when you're teaching people, yeah. are you coaching them how to be themselves or are they learning how to present a, maybe a different type of persona than they would ordinarily be? What's your approach? Oh, I'm teaching them to be themselves. I, re- I, I, I'm, I'm like bring bring yourself to the stage and let's let's heighten let's heighten that and let's see how we can find your own inherent energy and and charisma and authenticity. Um, you know, I always think it's equal. It's what I'm trying to do with my clients is find this equal balance of empathy, authenticity, and logic so that they can build the trust with their audience. And I, I mean. When people give themselves permission, which I think is the big piece of it, to just lean into all the things that make them so beautifully flawed and human, that's like the good stuff. Like, that's what I want to see on stage. I, I actually get, I'm, I'm that person when, if you're overly polished, I'm not going to believe you. Like, I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to buy it from you. Maybe I might feel inspired by you depending on how you told your story. But it's it's really hard for me to drop in. But if you come up in, in your full, authentic, raw, maybe a little quirky, messy self, I'm 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 down. Like I'm excited about that. And so it's really for me, it's about getting people to confidently step into what makes them unique. Because it's too easy to act like somebody else. I can attest to that. I think for sure you're right. Because you know, I did as a young person, I would do theater. Um, mm-hmm. But improv was scary because with theater, you have the script to fall back on. And you have the blocking 
And yeah. yeah, you can cover if you screw something up, but but you're really it's there. The next line is always there. And in improv, obviously, that's the high wire act. What's so fun about it is that there isn't a wrong answer. There's only a bunch of right answers, and some will be funny and some won't be funny. And then that's the that nervousness that you're describing that that imperfection is what makes you credible. If I'm in a, in a I get up in a room, uh, I'm doing a TED talk type thing. Let's say, yeah. Do you coach mm-hmm. people for that that level of of um, public speaking, like in, in front of large crowds and and being recorded and all of that? Yeah, I, I actually I'm working with two clients right now who are working on TED talks, and uh, it's to me it's a different. You know, you've got presentations is one thing, like your internal or your client-facing presentations that don't necessarily need to be well-polished and memorized. You just need to be super clear about what your end in mind is and what your takeaways are, what they need to remember. Story is important. Humor is important, all those things, right? But the TED Talk is like, that's memorized. And it has to be rehearsed in such a way that you can have start to have fun with it. Right. Right. You have to. I always I always talk about like in order to find formlessness, you have to have a really tight container. And that tight container is knowing your uh, it's just like an improv structure. Right. If you know the improv structure really well, like the Herald uh, or something like a structure like that, um, then that's when you get to have fun. But if if people aren't well rehearsed and well practiced, then it's going to be really challenging to have fun and to engage and to connect with your audience. If you don't know the rules. If you're, yeah. you can't play the yeah. game if you don't know the rules. You and can't, you can't play the game. You can't bend it and you can't do all that stuff. So what was your first, what was your first interaction with public speaking or performance? My first interaction with performance? When, or, yeah, when um, did you first, when do you, what's your earliest memory of, of performing for people? Oh, uh, well... I was dancing, I started dancing when I was really little, um, but the the moment where I decided I wanted to continue being on stage, I think I was probably 13, 13 or 14, and I was in this dance number, and it was one of those dance recitals, <laughs> you know, where they rent out the theater and everything. Uh, the dance instructor gave me a line in this particular piece. And I had to do this triple turn, land, and then say out to the audience, when I grow up, I want to be just like Wonder Woman. That was the line I chose. Okay, got it. And uh, this other instructor, dance teacher, was in the audience. And afterwards, she followed me into the dressing rooms and she said, you need to take acting classes. I said, okay. She goes, you just have a really lovely presence on stage and your voice is really lovely on stage. And I said, well, thanks. So then I was... I went to mom and dad and I said, I want to take acting classes. And they put me in acting classes. Uh, And then that's where I got the bug. And then I remember being in high school and I was introduced to short form improv and liked it. I liked it. I just, you know, I thought of it as like theater games. And and then I moved to San Francisco and ended up in a improv group and then ended up in a sketch comedy group. Where did you, sorry, where did, where did you grow up? I grew up in Colorado. I grew up in a town called Fort Collins, an hour, an hour north of Denver. Um, then moved to San Francisco. Yeah, and, I, and then a member moved to Chicago and was like, I'm going to go study at Improv Olympic. And 
Second City, and I said, oh, I want to go. So that's what happened. Wow. And I, I've just always loved stages. I've just always loved stages. Yeah, right? <laughs> did you have that thing? Yeah. Did you have that thing like when you were a kid and you would have, like, you know how some people hate going to the auditorium for assembly? Yeah. I loved it. I loved looking at the rafters and looking at the stage and thinking, ooh, and then the lights and seeing them do the lights. Yes. And I was, I was like, oh, man, I got to go do that stuff. You know, that's, that's, and if, if someone had said to me when I was seven or eight years old and said, you know, you should take acting lessons, I would have said to them, why, what was wrong with it? (laughs) I would have said, what did I do? (laughs) Why, you didn't like the performance? (laughs) You didn't like that? I would always, I wasn't perfect? uh, Yeah, I would interpret it as a criticism, (laughs) which, which I, uh, you know, having my own kids now and looking at kids today, Mm -hmm. I do feel like kids are, there's a lot of pressure on uh, let's just say on yeah. people, not just kids, because kids grow up to become people. There's a lot of pressure on people to be perfect, to be like, go back to what you were saying before about flawlessness being suspect in a way. But yet there's all this pressure to be to be perfect and to deliver, I, I, yeah. to deliver things at such a high level. And I, I wonder if, um, I wonder if with, with like Gen Z or or even millennials, that may account for some of the almost rejection of what we had perceived as our work work ethic. Let's say if you're if you're older than thirty, and you know you had this idea that you have to really compete and really do well and really do this, and the younger generation is like, well, you know, I'll do what I want to do. I don't need to listen to you because they're rejecting mm-hmm. the. The pressure, but the pressure's there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's real. I think the self-talk is a really important place to you know to start. I feel if people want to be more confident and uh, public speakers, and that's actually something that they've wanted to do, they just know how to. Is I think you bring up a good point about that. The self-talk about, oh, I'm never going to be good enough, or I don't have enough training, or, uh, you know, and I still hear it. I live in New York City, so I'm always hearing, you know, the the top of the creme of the the creme is Broadway, you know? Like, everyone's always comparing things to Broadway. And where that's wonderful and it has its place... Just because you don't get to Broadway doesn't mean that you're you, you're not valuable. That it doesn't mean that you're not. It, it's you're still good. You're still worthy. You're still really wonderful at what you do. That's just one piece of the pie, and yeah. I feel like um, there's it's it is a lot of pressure that kids are put under, um, and I do think I hope it unravels a little bit. I hope the Gen Zers are like, yeah, let it, it's. I want to get up on stage and be a little bit raw and messy. See what that looks like. See what comes back. Um, so, I mean, we're already kind of seeing it. Well, so so to dig into that a little bit, what does loose? What does looseness look like? There's one person that comes across really relaxed, and I feel just kind of has this kind of nonchalant attitude about things, but has quite the charisma and is Gary Vaynerchuk. Oh yeah. Gary Vee. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Gary Vee. He's like, I really love his energy. He just kind of owns the space without trying too hard. And he shows up in his hoodie and he's still everything that comes out because what it's about ultimately is 
you're adding value, you're providing value, you're serving your audience. And so as long as you come up with that attitude and you're delivering your talk, not it's not about you. It hasn't it's it doesn't you looking for validation, if that's what you're looking for to begin with, then it's not going to be a successful talk. I don't care how hard you try right. because you're not making it about your audience and how you can provide value for them. Um, and so that's what I feel really resonates with me. And his type of performance style is you can tell he gives a shit. Am I allowed yeah. to swear on this? Yes, you can. Because I just swore. Yes, it's explicit. Okay. We explicitly <laughs> say you can, you can swear. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like we're not explicit enough. And I'm like, well, we should be. I mean, be, we can be if we you want be, to. We should be more profane. And then I'm like, well, who gives I a think fuck? So. I can be profane or not. <laughs> if I want to be clean, just that's my. a fucking woman yeah, doesn't mean right. I can't swear. <laughs> if I want to be, if I want to be clean and work clean, that's my fucking business. I said, nobody else stick their fucking ass in, in my face and tell me what the fuck to do because it's my show. So. I choose to work clean, and that's mm-hmm. you know whatever. That's but that doesn't fuck mean yeah, that, to, no, fuck yeah. You want to you want to you you know be clean. So, my dad used to say my 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 dad used to say that that comedians in general comedians who who cursed a lot, the pitfall was that they couldn't think of anything clever to say, and so they they used profanity as a substitute for wit, and so to that extent. He didn't like gratuitous cursing, but his favorite mm-hmm. comedian was Richard Pryor. And I remember watching Richard Pryor, you know, do do his, Richard Pryor live. And I was probably 13 or something and I'm watching it with my dad. And I go, but dad, he's like cursing. And he goes, yeah, but he knows what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> you know, same thing with Carlin. They know exactly why they're saying what they're saying. So, you know. To your point, I, I would agree, John. Yeah, John Oliver, similar. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it's yeah. and the reason and the Gary Vee thing is that he knows his persona so well, and he yeah. does. I do believe he's 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 genuine and that he it's coming mm-hmm. because when you know yourself that well, what you say is going to work. It's going to come out, yep. and whatever roughness or whatever uh, you know, whatever edges come with it, that's going to be great. Like Bill Burr is another one. Uh, mm-hmm. Bill Burr said that he's, he started his, he, when he really came out of himself in stand-up was when he decided he was going to talk to people the way he would talk to his friends and not, mm-hmm. try, to, not try to be refined. So yes. he's a great example. He's going to be himself no yes. matter where he is. He's going to go on stage and talk the way he talks directly and, and funny and sharp. And we get in our own way, I guess, a lot, you know? Well, and here's the deal. I mean, this is it. And, and why, why not, right? Because you are not going to please everybody regardless. It doesn't matter how freaking polished you co- want to come across or who you think your audience wants you to be in that moment. Yeah. You're, it's, you're not, it's impossible for everyone in that seat to like you. Yeah. It's impossible. There are people that are not going to like you. There's, there's, so why not show up as yourself? Yeah. Well, they always talk about niching down, right? Like you were in advertising. They always say, oh, right. niche down, niche down, niche down. Right. Well, niche down to who you are. <laughs> Just show up as yourself, right? Like stop. Well, they talk about they talk about the box, you know, the putting yourself in a box. Yeah. If if my advice, I just gave this advice to a young copywriter. 
if, if, don't put yourself in a box. If the industry finds that they like something that you do and they ask you to do it again and they want to put you in that box, then jump in there and do that until you don't want to do it anymore. But it's not yeah. for you to decide what box you go in. You don't need to be in any box. You're just yourself. If they want yeah. to build a box yeah. around it and say, this is what we want you to do, then, then go ahead and do it. But, but yeah. don't contort yourself. Don't contort no. yourself. That's, that's never going to work. And I know from, do, from doing it, I know from being, this was another thing I wanted to ask you is, before I did this UK interview, mm-hmm. I had never been on that station before. I hadn't really done radio in the UK. And, I was, and, I, and even though it wasn't a big deal, I was like a little nervous. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, that those butterflies come from not my being ill-prepared, but from my not knowing. I don't know mm-hmm. what it's going to be like. I don't know the person. I've never really listened to their show. It was, you know, I don't know. I have a sense, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. wonder if that's something that comes up with your clients, fear of the unknown. Oh, it definitely comes up. I, well, first of all, I want to say it's because you care, right? Yeah. So that's why nerves, I feel, even they exist because you care. Um, and then there's that fear of unknown. And even if you know, there's still a lot of unknowns <laughs> because then people, people are like, well, I might forget my lines or I might for, you know, or the tech might not work or so-and-so might show up or so-and-so may not show up or they might film or they might like, it's, you're, are, we just go into all sorts of, un, you know, what if scenarios yeah. that can be really paralyzing and, and it, so the nervous, the, the nerves are normal. I think that if they, I get nervous if I'm not nervous. And then Ooh. I just try to think for myself, how can I transform those nerves into something that becomes powerful? And, ex, and how can I transform that into excitement rather than it pulling me in the opposite direction, which is away from and internalized uh, how do I get out of my head? That's why I always tell people, like I used to do push-ups before I got on stage because it would help me get out of my head. And I would count out loud. It was my little ritual. Some people listen to music. Some people stand backstage and they look like they're about to go into a boxing ring. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of different ways. Some people do the power pose, the Amy Cuddy power poses. <laughs> like, whatever, whatever, whatever your secret sauce is, like do your secret sauce, whatever works for you. Um, but as long as you're doing something that's transforming it into power and not pulling you in the other direction. That's great advice. I haven't tried that, but I... Because what I think does happen is I could be really, really funny right up to the moment that I get on the stage. And if you don't carry yeah. it over that line, you're not funny. You're, you're not, it's not going to work. Because if you fall back into your fearful mode, your, your right. pen, tentative mode, and you're doing, like you said, you're trying to get gratification, validation, and all that other shit, then you're, you're not going to do it. But if you start mm-hmm. a run from the back of the room and, you're, and you just don't stop, then maybe do like a cartwheel. Cartwheel <laughs> would be good. But, yes. And, and, and then I, you know, and I'm not a gymnast, but I think if I do the cartwheel, but I have this feeling knowing myself, I'm not going to do the cartwheel. And what's going to happen is I'm going to run up and I'm going to like thumper around and like almost do a cartwheel and look kind of spastic and I'm going to look like, and then I'm going to be canceled 
by the differently able community because they're going to say, what is this guy doing? He's, he's making fun of, and I'll be, no, I didn't, I wasn't no, making fun of people. It was based on, it's Meredith Grundy's fault because I, we were, she was coaching me. And, uh, oh, so she's, she's oh, the so offender. Oh, so now yeah. we're both going to be canceled. She's Great. the offender. Great. She's the offender. And she told me to do, do a cartwheel. And I, you know, but, yeah. but that kind of looseness is what, is what maybe what, what we, what we need. And, and we wouldn't be able to do that if we didn't know our, our, our lines or our, our talk yeah. or our, you know, do you come across people who are, who, who may not do public speaking a lot or are kind of having to learn it, but who actually are hams, you know, who actually are frustrated performers. Oh, nobody really right now that are like the frustrated perform. No, Mm-mm. isn't that funny? I haven't. No, All right. not really. No. No frustrated, no, I I, no frustrated I, I performers. Couple, All right. No frustrated well. performers. I have a couple of folks in my confidently speaking group, though, that I've known for years that are improvisers, that one is in the tech business and, and the other one is a life coach and creativity coach. And uh, I wouldn't call them frustrated performers. They're just, they're, they're, I would say they're joyful with where they're at. Okay. I don't have the frustrated. I have joyful with where they're at, people. I I thought you were going to say lifeguard. You said life coach. I wouldn't want an improviser who's a lifeguard. I don't want any of my any of my comedy friends who do improv to be a lifeguard. I only take lifeguards who want to be improvisers. Right. Right. And and who want to be speakers. I mean, they have to. That's called niching down. Yeah. Right. Niching down. I'm niching down to lifeguards only. Do you so, have a lifeguard? A lot of lifeguards listen to this podcast. I haven't broken it down yet, but I suspect okay. that that there are. Okay. Because number one, it's summertime, so a lot of people who aren't ordinarily right. lifeguards. I think my lifeguard audience is going to dip <laughs> after Labor Day, and I'm I'm not going to be pun. surprised. Huh? That was a pun. Oh, a dip. You yeah, just, I didn't was, even. Yeah, I wasn't yeah, aware of that. Yeah. Good yeah. job. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And so, so now, how do you divide your your time? Like, how do you? What are your what? What kind of things are you involved in? Your coaching? Do you have time mm-hmm. for theater or for any of those other? Uh... That's a really great question. Uh, I just wrote a one person show that I closed on Sunday. I I wrote. I took six months to write it. I got a residency here in New York through a, an organization called Culture Lab and wrote that show. And it's hard. It yeah. is really hard to balance the two. Um, so I'm now, I feel like I'm playing catch up with my business, but it, it's hard to put the focus in both. I occasionally will get called by my agent to go out on auditions, but if hopefully they're not, I, I would imagine they're not listening. <laughs> to this podcast right now. Well, they but, might. Uh, I ha- I, they might be. So, uh, Phil, if you're listening, uh, I could put more energy into giving a shit about being an actor right now. Yeah. But in terms of um, auditioning, because it's a lot of work. Like when you're when you do an audition, it it takes some time because yeah. you gotta you gotta look at your lines, you gotta know your lines, you gotta set up the camera, 
You got to put up your blue screen or green screen. You got to have your right lighting. I have to find a reader. It's it's time consuming, and I, depending on the script, I ha- I wasn't finding as much joy in that during the pandemic. It was actually feeling kind of depressing and lonely for me. Yeah. What was not depressing and lonely for me was helping other people. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah. I think I think that's largely why we're here today on this podcast was that I I felt that that the time had come to to get back into podcasting and do something that felt helpful and mm-hmm. wasn't just ranting or trying to be funny even like doing my mm-hmm. I thought about doing my own podcast as like a kind of a bit like doing bits and things like that. And I was like, no, mm-hmm. we need people to come in who can actually provide uplift and answers and inspiration and points of view and all that um, for not only the lifeguards, but for, <laughs> you know, the lifeguards, the agents, the talent agents yeah. that are that are listening, that want to hear their <laughs> appreciative clients shit all over them, um, you know, but. But this thing of laughing like we are, this is the this is what yeah. I was hoping would happen. Was that was that we can we can laugh some positivity into the world, you know. So before we go, for people who are listening who haven't done public speaking, who are either toying with getting on stage or they're just trying to think, you know, how do I stand out or how do I? What's the first step? Like, is there a first step to people who are in a, we're in a world that's a little bit withdrawn in some ways, a little more fearful than we've ever been. Um, What's, what's the first step? Uh, I, I really appreciate that question. I think it goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, which is noticing your, your self-talk, noticing what comes up when you pose that question or when, when you ask yourself the question, can I do a TikTok or can I, um, or I've been thinking about doing this online course, but I, I just don't think I'm very good at it. Or I do want to do a TED talk someday, but what, but I don't have anything interesting to talk about. I don't have, I don't, you know, I feel like it's just noticing the self-talk and what I want to share with people is once you figure that out, then to reframe the self-talk into the more positive forward moving action oriented steps that you can take and to also know that we all have stories that all need to be told and that your story needs to be heard and it's just as important as the next person's story and that you don't have to have lived some extravagant life or a life full of trauma to share your story that it could be the simplest of stories and that's what brings us together, and that's our humanity. That's where empathy lives. And so that's what I would encourage people to do is to reframe how they talk to themselves and to know that their stories are valid. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.